listening to Now I've Heard Everything, conversations with the icons of our time. I began to have these deja vu experiences that were quite profound. I knew that I had been somewhere before, and yet in this particular life I hadn't been. Actress Shirley MacLaine. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Welcome to the season premiere week for Now I've Heard Everything's Season 6. Yeah, we got five seasons of episodes behind us. You can hear all 500 or so of those episodes at our website, heardeverything.com. Monday, we premiered Season 6 with John Denver. Today, my interview with another icon of our time. She was already considered one of America's brightest young stars when she entered show business in the mid-1950s. And over the next few decades, Shirley MacLaine fulfilled that promise in a big way. She has won or been nominated for every major award, an Oscar, an Emmy, several Golden Globes, many, many other awards. She has remained one of America's most popular stars for decades. She was also, of course, associated with the famous Rat Pack in the 1950s and 60s, Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., and then in the mid-1980s. Shirley MacLaine acquired a whole new kind of fame when she established herself as an authority on the metaphysical, past lives, reincarnation. She said she had had many past lives herself. For some, her pronouncements became the fodder for ridicule and late-night punchlines. But others embraced her ideas and made her books bestsellers. Her 1987 book, It's All in the Playing, was a very candid act of self-reflection and a deeper exploration of her beliefs in the metaphysical and past lives. And as she shepherded me through my sometimes awkward questions, she helped us all understand a little better. So here now, from 1987, Shirley MacLaine. It strikes me that there are principles that you believe in that can be explained for reasons other than the way you explain them. For example, as when your, when your script was initially looked down upon by ABC, they weren't real wild about it, and you said, and, and you contacted your guide who said, well, you, you, uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to paraphrase it, mm -hmm. I can't, you willed it that way. But psychologists have told us for years that you can will yourself to fail if you, if Absolutely, Bill. So this is not that new. <laughs> But there are people who say, well, hey, you don't have to believe in what Shirley MacLaine tells you. You can read it in psychology today. Yeah, absolutely right. That's right. I'm not saying anything that new. I just have a little different slant on it, I guess. Mm. Sounds metaphysical, but actually it's very psychological. We really do. We're in control of what we do with our lives. We're the ones who draw the negative stuff to us. Or a lot of us are simply not prepared for success. Something else that troubles me, I guess, in, in my agnosticism, if you will, nothing is an accident. I feel that, that is a, that's true, that nothing is an accident, that everything is part of a harmonious, purposeful good. Everything in the cosmic justice of it all. Of course, now, with that point of view... I have to also embrace the idea, which I also believe, that we don't just live once. So that the karma that one puts out, the energy, let's say, that one puts out, 
one will experience that same energy, maybe not at this time and place, but at another time and place. But, you know, Einstein said that there is no such thing as time, that it's all happening at once. So you might say that when you, when you exude something negative to another, in effect, you are exuding it to yourself because it will ultimately come back in this system we call time. But not necessarily in this life. Is that right, correct? Right, right. But there we are talking about linear time again, as mm -hmm. though past lives are in the past. I have begun to feel that I can tap into the truth of what he was talking about, that everything is existing at once, but I'm only focusing on this particular expression. I found that concept fascinating when you were t talking about how some guides are not very good at, at things uh, time-wise mm -hmm. or, or mathematically even, because to them they are experiencing it all at once, yeah. whereas we're seeing just that like you said, that, that little focus point. And then all of a sudden it started to make sense. Mm -hmm. So much of this I come to from a physics point of view. I was always interested in the science of physics when I was a kid. And I was like you. I was an agnostic. I didn't want to deny it. I didn't want to be a believer. I just didn't know, like agno means don't know. So that, that felt very comfortable to me. Until I began to have these deja vu experiences that were quite profound. I mean, I couldn't put them on the back burner. I knew that I had been somewhere before, and yet in this particular life I hadn't been. I knew that I knew someone, and yet I'd never met them. Those are experiences that impact on the soul, and the soul, as they say, is located in the heart, not the mind. So I began to explore, well, if that's true, then what does that mean? Does that mean that I am a product of what Freud would call superconsciousness? You know, he dealt with the subconscious, the conscious, and then at the end of his life, he was talking about the superconscious because he, he said he'd rather be a parapsychologist if he had it all to do over. So most of these fellows got interested in metaphysics. They got interested in what was beyond the physical, meta meaning beyond, and that's what's interesting me. So since science exists as a system in which to explain creation, it is there to prove how we got here. Uh, automatically you're talking about God. So science, these books that are coming up now, Science and the New Physics, Science and the Mystics, etc., I fall somewhere in that category, that I very much enjoy the contemplation of how physics and theology will end up at the same place. The Bible implies, if not comes right out and says, though, that you have your life here on earth, mm -hmm. and then you have an eternal life, mm -hmm. and that is it. it. The Bible, as I've read it, and... I could be wrong, it doesn't mention any uh, several existences, as you've alluded to, thousands perhaps of existences. Mm -hmm. Well, it doesn't now, Bill, but remember that the Bible's been rewritten many times. 
And don't forget that ecumenical council meeting in 553, which is one of the most profound um, theological events in the history of Christianity, when Empress Theodora uh, demanded an ecumenical council meeting at which she stacked the bishops to the chagrin of the Pope. The Pope at that time boycotted that ecumenical council meeting out of protest. And what Empress Theodora and Emperor Justinian's purpose was, was to eliminate the teachings of origin from the early Christian father dictums. And the teachings of origin taught reincarnation. Now, still in the Bible, and then, of course, what was what was um, demanded by the empress and the emperor, but mostly the empress. She was an extremely powerful and abusive uh, empress. She was what we would call today a dragon lady. <laughs> and uh, she demanded and instructed her bishops to extract all the interpretations of Jesus' teachings that smacked of the teachings of the re-embodiment of the soul. But there are some still left. For example, in Matthew, uh, I think it's Matthew 13, I might be wrong, Jesus says to the disciples, and who do they say I am? And one of the di disciples says, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elias, some say you are Elijah. There are several passages that could be interpreted to be um, a kind of just casual discussion about reincarnation. I have some letters. They're historical. Anyone can get them in the Library of Congress from the Rabbi Hillel to uh, Caesar and also to Pontius Pilate. Rabbi Hillel was the uh, intellectual in the Sanhedrin during the time of Jesus. And he outlines in these letters uh, all the sessions that Jesus Conducted in which he told some of his disciples and anyone else who was interested what their past lives were. And he discusses these in great detail, Rabbi Hillel. In fact, he warned Caesar, be careful of this man's uh, potential execution if you really do allow him to be eliminated, so to speak, you may, you may, in effect, be playing into the hands of the eternal understanding of his truth. After this short break, I ask Shirley MacLaine if she believes in heaven. Start your day with Now I've Heard Everything. We post new episodes every Monday, Wednesday and Friday at 5 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time. Subscribe now so you'll have something fresh to listen to and get your day going. Now back to my 1987 conversation with Shirley MacLaine. If you believe there is no hell, is there no heaven? Well, as Jesus said, uh, the kingdom of heaven is within. That's why this work that we're doing in metaphysics is so important. Find the kingdom of heaven within, and when you reach that sense of inner peace, you experience heaven. So heaven is everywhere, and certainly included is within. It is within, it is without, it is everywhere. As the Mahabharata, the Vedas, the Quran, the Talmud, the Bible all say, not only is the kingdom of heaven within, but God is as close as the air you breathe or as the veins on your neck, as it says in the Quran. 
and that's why this this uh, fundamentalist conflict that's going on in the world today is so sad because each person thinks they have the truth, the hotline to God. But whatever happened to understanding, believing, or having an open mind that someone else might also have a hotline to God and the understanding that God is as close as the air they breathe as well as the air you might breathe. You've, you've spoken of a cleansing taking place. What, um, to people like myself who are a little fuzzy on what that means, what, what kinds of, kind of cleansing is taking place? Oh, you mean in the society mm -hmm. today? Gosh, you know, just pick up the Washington Post or the New York Times, and it seems as though everybody's private life, value system, ideas on most anything are being exposed, perused, and evaluated. I call that a cleansing. So the people who are corrupt will be, they'll be cleansed from the society. And it's all very good. I think it's teaching all of us. Every one of these people that we see marched across the 7 o'clock nude in a humiliation of some sort are teachers for the rest of us, in my view. In other words, if I hear that, that uh, Joe Biden cheated on a test at Yale, then I have to remember all the times I cheated at a spelling test or what I did in my life. So it makes us all look at what we did, identify with the humiliation some of those leaders are going through, and if we treat it in a positive manner, we can, we can forgive ourselves as well as we forgive them and get on with the positiveness and don't cheat anymore. That's what I mean by cleansing. Once the, the cleansing process is, is finished, if it does finish, what, what will the world look like when it is clean? Oh, gosh, who knows if it'll ever be clean. It'll just be cleaner. It'll just be more honest. It'll be an ever-expanding, um, peeling process toward the internal perfection that each of us basically is, but doesn't believe it for a minute. I mean, it's very hard for us to call ourselves uh, perfect. It's very hard for us to say, I mean, God made us in His image. Isn't that perfection? Then why can't we really live up to what God intended us to be. Is it cyclical? Do we get dirty, then cleanse, dirty, cleanse? I feel it's all uh, experiential, cyclical experience, that there are, there are, let's see, lessons of corruption that we feel we need to learn by. So we know ourselves better when we come out the other end of either being corrupt ourselves or seeing someone else be corrupt. In the end, everything is a learning experience. And if you want to learn through such stuff as corruption and take the consequences which are inevitable, then fine, if you're willing to pay that price. That's one way of doing it. I myself would like to be more conversant with lessons and the ways to learn about myself that don't have to do with all that negative stuff. I would rather not learn that way anymore. I've done enough of that. I, I know what that's like, that kind of suffering and, and uh, drawing and making potential problems for myself because I learn who I am better that way. Gosh knows, I've done enough of that, as has everybody. But I'm beginning to think that's, okay, I'm tired of paying that price. I don't want to learn about myself that way anymore. I'd like to learn that I am um, 
capable of experiencing myself as this God intended us to experience ourselves, which is perfect. And then you act accordingly. Then you begin to act with more love and less corruption and more patience and less intolerance and all that stuff. But many of us, I think, uh, once we get that feeling that we have the calling, that we have God in our very center, become a bit arrogant and think that no one else does unless they're thinking about it our way. I think maybe all of our lives is like looking in a mirror. And that's maybe what I'm doing with mine and using it as a reflection for the truth that I was doing it all to learn by and that life is indeed a stage and we're all just actors on it and the way we play the roles is what's important. <laughs> Shirley MacLaine will be 90 in April. Now you can get a copy of It's All in the Playing by Shirley MacLaine by tapping the link in our show notes or by going to our website, HeardEverything.com. We may earn an Amazon commission if we make a purchase. Now, HeardEverything.com is where you'll also hear my interviews with two other Hollywood legends, icons of our time, if you will. My 1993 conversation with Anne Margaret. We saw each other for a year. It was very intense, very strong, very real. And then uh, for 14 years, we were uh, friends. I knew him very well, as he did me. And my 2001 interview with Eartha Kitt. I've gone through all of this nonsense of them telling me, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do that. And when they told me that I couldn't do something, I, that's when I had a greater urge to try to do. And of course, you can find over 500 interviews at our website heardeverything.com all the way back to season one we're now in this is the first week of season six of now i've heard everything and thank you so much for listening next time on now i've heard everything as premiere week wraps up my conversation with the man who for 24 years anchored the cbs evening news a tenure that was not without some controversy my 1994 interview with dan rather a good reporter must be skeptical cynicism is something completely different I can truthfully say that while I've made a lot of mistakes, becoming a cynic is not one of them. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson.